If you've been following any of the news stories on CPD over the past week, you might have noticed the rolling thread of angry comments from GPs online. Essentially, the medical board has decided to up the number of CPD hours to 50, and GPs feel like this sudden need for extra paperwork came out of nowhere. I I really am yet to see what is the problem that's being solved. Now, if they're going to say, well, yes, we've got some doctors out there who are below par, agree with that. Is this going to find them? So you just heard from Perth GP Dr Joe Costeridge at the start of this episode. And if you turn to page 12 of the latest edition of TMR, or I guess our last edition for the year, you'll see an editorial on the topic from our editor-in-chief, Dr Linda Calabresi. It's pretty strongly worded, uh, and it captures some of the dismay that doctors seem to be feeling about this topic. Linda says that the CPD proposal is giving GPs that sinking feeling in your stomach. That feeling that we're all just like mice on those little wheels running faster and faster to stay on the same spot. And Linda points out that 50 hours a year is more than a full-time working week. Um, So she says none of the activities proposed are completely without merit, but the proposal just reeks of academic musing, doesn't it? Who decided 50 was the magic number? So today we have TMR reporter Penny Durham, and she's all over the details. Welcome to the show. Uh, Could you maybe tell us why GPs are spitting chips over this new CPD proposal? Yes, well, we've just been through one bout of CPD angst because the RACGP has just reformulated its program for the next three years, or triennium. Um, But the latest comes from the Medical Board of Australia, which in mid-November released a draft consultation paper on new registration standards for CPD continuing professional development. It's doing this as part of a wider project, the Professional Performance Framework. Uh, It began with the expert advisory group on revalidation a few years ago, but it changed that terminology because that word revalidation carries some grim connotations. It actually sends shivers down the spines of many doctors um, because it means it's having to prove that you're up to date and fit to practice every few years or lose your license. They've had a system like this in the UK since 2012, and it's been really unpopular. A study in 2016 even showed that the process was causing senior doctors to leave practice, or maybe even leave the UK, rather than participate in it, and that those doctors who ceased practice had not performed, in fact, any worse than their peers. So our medical board ruled out bringing in a system like that, but the whispers on the forum suggest that doctors still suspect that the new CPD structure is a step in that direction. So what is the board proposing that is different from what we have at the moment? Well, for a start, as you said, Felicity, they want every practitioner to log 50 hours a year of CPD, which is a very long unpaid working week. Um, And uh, what that compares to now is a little hard to say, as for GPs, it's measured in points, not hours. Uh, One person I spoke to said it was roughly eight or nine hours, uh, and another said it was actually just very hard to measure because you're not looking at the clock while you're doing it necessarily. Um, But even if the eight or nine hours is a very conservative guess, it's still a pretty big jump. Now, only a quarter of that time, 12 and a half hours, has to be on educational activities. Another quarter has to be on performance review and self-reflection type activities, including a professional development plan. Uh, Another quarter is to be spent measuring outcomes. And they acknowledge that that is harder for some kinds of practice than others. And then they just make some noise about increased data sharing and um, you would hope uh, that if you're signed up for the quality improvement practice incentive payment or 
QIPIP, then that should count as or towards your outcomes measuring component. And the fourth quarter can be spent doing any of those kinds of CPD that you like. Um, so look, GPs who already feel pretty stretched believe it's going to add to their workload and create a whole lot of paperwork, that it's bureaucratic and faddish, uh, they might not particularly care to learn what multi-source feedback is, uh, that it's patronising and that it won't uh, help them or their patients. The medical board uh, told me, no, the increased hours will actually incorporate a lot of what GPs do already that's not now formally recognised. It says it's all about patient safety and it's bringing CPD in line with contemporary education philosophy, which uh, says that going to conferences and reading articles isn't very effective. The board also told me that these are just principles and it will be up to the CPD homes, formerly known as colleges, uh, to set the actual content. Uh, CPD homes are going to be the colleges plus any other organisation that wants to offer this kind of educational service. So theoretically, there could be a proliferation of CPD homes. And so what do the colleges make of this? Well, I asked RACGP President Harry Nespelin and he didn't sound too thrilled, um, frankly. He's pretty happy with the college's new program that it's just spent quite a bit of time redesigning. Um, now that the planning and learning activity is no longer mandatory, he says it's uh, that the RACGP system is about education, not about paperwork, and he doesn't see how the board's principles can just slot in with it. He says they're completely different and he's not, how, not sure how the two are going to fit together. Uh, Dr Nespelin also thinks that a proliferation of CPD homes will create an administrative mess. Uh, previously, if you're a conference organiser, you would have to tell maybe one or two colleges who's attended uh, your day so that they can get their points. Now there might be five or a dozen different CPD homes among the 500 attendees that you have to get straight. And for doctors with two areas of practice and therefore two CPD homes, who by the way will be having to do 100 CPD hours a year, uh, which home is going to be the one signing off on their vocational registration? On the other hand, Akram already has a practice reflective professional development component in its program and it encourages members and fellows to plan out their CPD in advance in a formal way. So it's already a bit closer to what the board is talking about. Um, Akram also warns its members to prepare for revalidation. So it's almost like Akram for one welcomes our new revalidation overlords. What about you guys? Uh, Frankie, what have you heard? So I've heard that I've seen a lot on Twitter in the last few days. Um, I can imagine that if you are a CPD provider, you may be a little bit concerned about how these changes may fit into your current business model. Um, because obviously that would be a big problem for you if you you know, weren't able to model out of the current uh, CPD point system that you currently do. Uh, the other thing is some GPs think that it could actually be easier because it is actually more of an honour system, uh, depending on how the Medical Board of Australia decides that the paperwork will happen. Uh, but it could, in some ways, end up looking something like a learner driving logbook where mm. it's very easy to jump on Excel and make up 12.5 hours where you read the newspaper and you may or may not have. But then on the other hand, I guess any system can be gamed. I mean, at the moment you could go to a conference for 12 hours and be scrolling through your Instagram feed if you so choose. <laughs> yeah, I did actually also speak to uh, Dr. Ramesh Manocha, who runs HealthEd, and he was saying that while yeah, a lot of GPs are very vo vocationally driven and motivated to learn and they will continue to seek out high quality education, there are also some GPs who find the whole thing just a bit of an inconvenience and... 
they will no doubt find ways to get around this whole new documentation workload. Um, I also pinged this over to a few specialists that I know, um, not that many. I think I have a sample size of two. Um, <laughs> but they had not really heard about it in specialist land. They were not particularly concerned. They sort of said, oh, sounds reasonable, whatever. So I think this thing has exploded in GP land, but all of the other doctors who are going to be affected really don't care that much is what I got from my sample size of two. <laughs> it could be reflected in the fact that GPs are the doctors who are most under pressure currently. Now we're going to take a short break and share some quirky medical history. And this week I actually managed to find some weird medical education history. It's very appropriate, Francine. Yes, thank you. So in 1949, a French Egyptologist, uh, Georges Owen Benedict, was in Saqqara in Egypt, and this was a big ancient burial ground for the Egyptian capital in Old Kingdom, uh, which was Memphis at the time. While he was there, he discovered and excavated what we now know as the tomb of Akinhotep. So he was a high dignitary who lived around 2400 BC. And so for anyone who wasn't around when the pyramids were built, that's 5th Dynasty of Old Kingdom, Egypt. You sound like a professor right now. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Uh, Akinhotep had many titles, including that he was a vizier, which made him the highest ranking official at the royal court, uh, which was only second to the pharaoh. The tomb also revealed that his father was Fatahotep, who had also been a vizier. But it's actually the depiction of his mother, who we believe to have been his mother, which is more interesting. There's a depiction of the tomb of Pesachet, and she's credited as being one of the earliest known female doctors, at least to be studied in history. And her title was inscribed, sorry, just uh, let me get these hieroglyphics, as Lady Overseer of the Female Physicians. Uh, Thank you, Google, because I don't actually know hieroglyphics. Uh, So most of the tomb, as all things excavated in the 20th century, were taken away and reconstructed in the Louvre, uh, very far away from Egypt. But from what historians have learned from the tomb, they believe that Pesachet was not only a healer herself, but she might have trained and graduated midwives at an ancient Egyptian medical school, uh, which was located in Sais. And you're probably wondering, what did it take to become a doctor in Old Kingdom Egypt? Pesachet first had to train as a scribe and study the medical papyri stored at the Per Ankh, which was the House of Life. And later they believed that she would have trained her own students in the same place. Wow, why have I not heard of this before? Well, they do say that women are underrecognized in history and this must just be another one of the blind spots. Yeah, wow. Okay, so now we're going to kick off the second half of the episode on CPD. Penny, presumably the board told you why it's doing this or what problem it's trying to solve with the current system. Well, uh, no, it didn't. Although that was the first question I asked them. I didn't actually really get a very straightforward answer. Aaron Esplin is asking the same thing, and so is our guest, Dr Joe Kosterich, a Perth GP and writer. So tell me, what are GPs saying about the draft changes to CPD uh, just published by the medical board? I'm yet to see anybody who supports it. Um, I'm sure with you know 30,000 plus GPs out and about in Australia, I'm sure there are a few out there, but pretty much all the comments that you're seeing on you know all of the medical chat forums is this is just going to make my life harder. Um, a lot of it is just pointless bureaucracy. And above all, what is the problem that is being solved by this? 
Mm. Um, if the concern is that there are some doctors who are below par and, you know, when you've got 30,000, you've got to expect that there are going to be some, the, the subpar lawyers, accountants, you name it. Is this system actually going to catch those or is it just going to make more busy work for everybody else who's already doing it a little bit tough? It's certainly going to generate a lot of paperwork. You're now going to have 50 hours per year rather than the triennium structure that GPs are accustomed to and all of that will have to be documented. How much time would you estimate that you would spend on CPD per year now? Yeah, and that's a really good question because I suppose like a lot of GPs, I don't focus on the clock. Um, you know, I focus on, on the quality of the education. So if you're doing ALMs, you know, they might take between six and eight hours, you know, depending on how much pre-reading you do. Some people might spend even more. But it's really about the content of the education, not the number of minutes that you just sit there watching a clock with a timer. This is absolutely um, bureaucratically driven. And I think that flushes out of when you look at who they're sort of um, expert panel where I don't see that there was a GP who earns a living by being a GP. These are people who get paid by government to sit on boards and committees. So whether they spend an hour doing CPD or whether they spend an hour filling out pointless forms or whether they spend an hour saving somebody's life makes no difference to them. If you're a, a practicing GP, it makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Do you think um, that there are some activities that uh, GPs would currently uh, participate in on a regular basis that are currently taken for granted that would actually count towards CPD under this new structure? Oh, look, I assume so. I, mean, I think in my own example, I have um, medical students for, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 hours a, a, a year. There are doctors who have medical students for much longer than that. There are doctors who have um, registrars. Um, I do quite a bit of writing. Um, there's a whole lot of things. I do public talks. Uh, there's a whole lot, and I've done talks uh, to a whole to the groups of doctors. There's a whole lot of things that one does as part of professional development that doesn't get picked up because of the very narrow, bureaucratically based uh, systems that we have. Mm. So it might be a, um, a matter of getting a bit canny and a bit creative about um, coding your extracurricular activities so that they do fall under one of these kind of CPD activity heads? Uh, yeah, I mean, in a roundabout way, if you're sort of saying, will people find a way to um, make what they do fit to what's required, I suppose they will. But again, that takes time. It just becomes trying to play a game. This should not be about playing games. This should really be about GPs who are very busy um, who, you know, in a lot of instances are not making a truckload of money, uh, the costs of everything are going up, including APRA registration, um, not making their lives any harder. You know, there was a thing last week about, uh, you know, doctors who are depressed apparently are more likely to run afoul of the medical board. What better way to create more problems than by increasing the stress on already hardworking people, um, uh, you know, than doing something like this? But I still get back to, where is the problem that this is solving and where is the evidence that this supposed problem that we haven't been told about is going to be solved by these measures? And who is actually accrediting um, all these APRA people? On what basis as a GP do I know that they've been accredited, that they know how to do their job? Mm. Well, a lot of the, um, the foundations for all this were laid in the expert advisory group who you mentioned before. They're a final report on revalidation. Now, speaking of stress... That's a scary word, revalidation. Um, it, it's, it refers to the kind of process whereby you need to justify your own fitness to practice every 
year or every few years by one or other means. Um, they, in, in the UK, the system is a sort of an appraisal-based system. The board ruled out any kind of scary form of revalidation like that. Um, but does it look to you as though this new structure is a compromise between what exists now, where the emphasis is very much on education and staying up to date with new knowledge, and a kind of revalidation where you're justifying your fitness to continue practising? It, it, it does. Um, I, I think it is some form of, of compromise. Uh, clearly, uh, the bureaucrats think every doctor is totally incompetent and they, the bureaucrats, know better because obviously they've had such a fantastic amount of medical training and they deal with patients every day. Um, but they're also aware that the UK system has been diabolical and it's seen a lot of doctors leave the UK and ultimately it has not achieved whatever it was supposed to set out to achieve. It's uh, created a lot of paperwork, it's taken up a lot of time, but the quality of care, the patient outcomes in the UK have not changed one bit. So this really just revolves around the fact that these are bureaucratic processes where the process or the, the means is the focus rather than the ends. The ends is patient care and health outcomes. And there is nothing in all of this which addresses either of those two. I'm just being done by people who just sit all day ticking boxes and uh, and trying to justify their own existence. So really, your view would be, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, absolutely. I, I really am yet to see what is the problem that's being solved. Now, if they're going to say, well, yes, we've got you know some doctors out there who are below par, agree with that. Is this going to find them? As some can, is somebody prepared to stand up publicly and say, if we introduce this system, this will catch every GP, every doctor, um, not you know, because this involves specialists as well, in Australia, who the board in its infinite wisdom believes is not up to scratch. And this system is going to catch them. And, you know, we won't have any more uh, below average doctors uh, in Australia. I don't think so. <laughs> Dr. Joe, thanks very much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome, Penny. Okay, that's all we have time for you on CPD for this episode. But remember, this is still at the consultation stage and the board is actually accepting your submissions until February 14th. Uh, so if you want to get onto that and send your valentines about CPD, uh, the email for that is performanceframework at ahpra, A-H-P-R-A as always, you can follow us on Spotify, iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. We've got one more episode before our Christmas break. Yeah, so next week we've actually got a letter from God. Uh, not in the Christmas sense though, uh, just our grumpy old doctor contributor. So we've got Dr Max Higgs, a rural GP, who's writing a letter to his daughter about how you can really hurt yourself by having fun. We'll catch you then.